Chapter 22 of The Story of the World A Simple History for Boys and Girls This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Stephen Rue The Story of the World A Simple History for Boys and Girls By Elizabeth O'Neill Chapter 22 The Crusades Chapter 22 the Crusades. It was in the days of Pope Paschal that the Emperor Henry the Fourth died, but before him there had been the great Pope Urban II, and under him began the most powerful thing that happened during the Middle Ages. This was the beginning of the Crusades, when knights and soldiers from all of the countries of Western Europe joined together and went to the east to fight the Muhammadans and win back from them the Holy Sepulchre or Tomb of Our Lord, which they had taken. At first, all the countries conquered by the Arabs had been governed by one ruler. But afterwards, there had been two caliphs, one in the east at Baghdad, the beautiful city on the Tigris which the eastern caliph made his capital, and one in the west. Then, after many years, the caliphs began to lose power, and many Muhammadan kings made little kingdoms of their own, and forgot to obey the caliphs any more. Soon after the year 1000, some Turks from the middle of Asia poured in great numbers into the lands of the Muhammadans in Asia, and soon conquered them. These Seljuk Turks, as they were called, because they told tales of a great heroic leader they once had whose name was Seljuk, were a very fierce people related to the terrible Huns who had tried to destroy Europe in the days of Attila. The Turks became Muhammadans but were much fiercer than the Arabs had ever been. They conquered Palestine and Syria, and this was how they took the Holy Sepulchre from the Christians. Before this, Jerusalem had belonged to the Muhammadans of Egypt, who had allowed the Christians to pray at the Holy Sepulchre. In the Middle Ages, people very often made long journeys or pilgrimages to pray at the graves of saints and martyrs and pilgrims went in great numbers especially to the Holy Sepulchre of Christ at Jerusalem. But the fierce Seljuk Turks were very cruel to the pilgrims and very disrespectful to the Holy Sepulchre. When the people in the west of Europe heard of these things, they were very angry, and it was this which brought about the Crusades. The first Crusade was in the year 1096, and for 200 years after this, from time to time, new crusades were preached and fought. The great preacher of the first crusade was a Frenchman called Peter the Hermit. He was a priest who lived a very strict life, and about the year 1093, he made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and there saw how badly the Christian pilgrims were treated by the Turks. He came back to Europe and told Pope Urban II all about it, and asked his permission to preach to the people and get the soldiers of Europe to go and save the sepulchre from the Turks. The Pope gave him permission, and Peter traveled all over Italy and France, telling the people the things he had seen. He was a little man with a thin, pale face, but bright, eager eyes. He wore only a shirt and a pilgrim's cloak, and he rode on a donkey, holding in his hand a cross. People gave him money and presents, but he gave it all to the poor again, and ate just enough to keep himself alive. The people grew very excited when he talked to them, 
and every man who made up his mind to go to the east to fight the Turks wore a badge in the shape of a red cross on the right shoulder. And he was called a crusader, or a soldier of the cross. The Pope himself went to a place in France called Clermont, and there he called a great meeting, called a council of bishops and princes and nobles, to whom he talked about the crusade. He spoke to a great crowd of the poorer people, too, asking all who could join the crusade. The people shouted as he finished his speech. It is the will of God, great nobles, and captains offered themselves for the crusade, and the soldiers chose which leader they would follow. But before the real crusaders were ready to start, an impatient crowd set off to the Holy Land under Peter the Hermit and a captain called Walter the Penniless. They had no order, and they did much harm and destruction in the countries they passed through. They never reached even Constantinople, but were killed by fierce tribes in the east of Europe. Only Peter the Hermit lived to tell the tale. Meanwhile, on the 15th August, 1096, the army of the First Crusade set out for the east. Among the great nobles who led their soldiers on this crusade was Robert, Duke of Normandy, the eldest son of William the Conqueror. The Conqueror was now dead, but Robert had not been made King of England. He was Duke of Normandy, and William the Red was King of England. But Robert was a soldier more than anything else, and had practically sold Normandy to William to get money for the crusade. Many of the princes and nobles were good and religious men, but many too went on crusade because they loved fighting and adventures. These were Norman nobles from the south of Italy, and French nobles like Raymond of Toulouse and Godfrey de Bouillon, Duke of Lower Lorraine. Godfrey de Bouillon, the hero of the Crusades. Godfrey was the real hero of the Crusade. The Crusaders marched through Germany and Hungary to the gates of Constantinople, where the Eastern Emperor wanted them to help him win back some of his land, which the Turks had taken from him. But the Crusaders were thinking of quite other things. For nine months, they besieged the city of Antioch, but took it at last. Then they marched on to Jerusalem, and as they came in sight of the holy city, which they had come to win, the Crusaders fell on their knees. Then they took off their armor and walked with bare feet like pilgrims to the city. But it was a month before they could break their way in, and then the Crusaders showed no mercy. They were cruel enough in their wars with each other at home, but with the enemies of Christ, they were more cruel still. The Muhammadans were cut down and killed in their streets, and the horses of the Crusaders were up to their knees in blood as they went to the Holy Sepulchre. There, the leader prayed, with hands and feet bare, and Godfrey dressed in a robe of white linen. The nobles now had to choose a king to rule over Palestine, with his capital at Jerusalem. Robert of Normandy was chosen first, but he loved better to fight than to rule, and so refused. So Godfrey was chosen and agreed to do the work of a king, but he would not wear a crown, he said, in a city where his king had been crowned with thorns. Then, most of the knights and soldiers went home again, while Godfrey stayed to rule his kingdom, and so ended the First Crusade. Godfrey de Bouillon died before a year was passed, and his brother, Baldwin, became king of Jerusalem in his place. Godfrey and his friend Tancred were the greatest and best of the knights who fought in the Holy War. Many of the others were not good men, 
but the lives of men like Godfrey show us the better side of the times. Not very many knights remained in the East after the First Crusade, but the new ones were always going out. Baldwin ruled Jerusalem for 18 years, and after him, his nephew, another Baldwin. All this time, there was fighting with the Muhammadans, but the kingdom of Jerusalem was well and strongly governed. But after the death of Baldwin II, when the Counts of Anjou got the crown, things were different. One of these kings was a leper, and the others were only children, and the feudal lords, among whom the land had been divided, became very disorderly. Many of these lords had married women of the East, and lived in luxury which they learned from the Eastern peoples. Their children and their children's children forgot the ways of the West, and were very different from Godfrey and Tancred and the Knights of the First Crusade. In fact, the defense of the Holy Sepulchre and the fighting against the Muhammadans was now chiefly done by some knights who really became monks. That is to say, they lived the lives of monks during times of peace, not marrying, but living together in a monastery and spending most of their time in prayer, while in the time of war, they lived as soldiers. There were two orders of these knights at Jerusalem. The knights of one order were called the Templars because they made their first monastery near the place where the great Temple of Solomon had once been. The other was the Order of St. John, or the Hospitallers, who were so called because they set up a hotel or hospital where poor pilgrims to the Holy Sepulchre could eat and sleep. In the year 1145, the Turks attacked the city of Edessa in the northeast of the Kingdom of Jerusalem. Edessa was ruled by one of those feudal knights who had given themselves up to pleasure, and he did not even try to save the town. But when the news came to Western Europe, the Christians were very indignant, and so the Second Crusade was made ready. The man who did most to persuade princes and people to join this crusade was the great monk St. Bernard, who was the most important man of his time. The two chief leaders in the Second Crusade, which started for the East in 1146, were the Emperor Conrad and the French King Louis VII. But the Second Crusade was quite a failure, and Louis and Conrad soon came home again. The Kingdom of Jerusalem grew weaker and weaker, while the Turks grew stronger. At last there arose a great hero among the Turks called Saladin. In some ways, although he was a fierce Muhammadan and hated Christianity, Saladin was very like the best of the Christian knights. He was very fond of children and gentle to women. Though he was fierce in fighting, he was not cruel to his prisoners. His soldiers loved him and would do anything for him. The people of Western Europe were shocked to hear, in the year 1088, that Saladin had conquered the Christian kingdom and taken Jerusalem himself. It was this news which brought about the Third Crusade. King Richard of the Lionheart the Third Crusade was almost as great as the first, though it did not win much in the end. The Emperor Frederick Barbarossa, or Frederick with the Red Beard, who was one of the greatest of the emperors, joined it. So did Philip Augustus, one of the greatest of the French kings, who had by this time become strong rulers, able to keep the French feudal lords in order. The great hero of the crusade on the Christian side was the King of England, Richard Cesar de Lyon or Richard of the Lion Heart, as he was called, because he was so brave. Many dukes and nobles joined the crusade too. 
Frederick Barbarossa had been crowned emperor when he was about 30 years old by Pope Adrian IV, the only Englishman who was ever a pope. Adrian's name before he became pope was Nicholas Breakspear. He had been a poor student at one time. Frederick was one of those emperors who thought that the emperor should be above the pope, and he nearly quarreled with Adrian by saying that he would not hold the pope's stirrup to help him get off the, his horse, but in the end, he did it. But later on, the pope and the emperor had many quarrels. A great many important towns had grown up in the north of Italy, and some of these, especially Milan, did not want to be under the emperor, who still kept the north of Italy as well as Germany. But Frederick took a great army into Italy and practically destroyed Milan. He quarreled too with the new pope Alexander III, and soon after his friends tried to set up another pope, who was called the Antipope. Once during the quarrel, he marched to Rome, had the Antipope set up in the palace of the popes, and got him to crown his wife Beatrix. After many years, the other cities joined together into a league called the Lombard League, and helped to build up Milan again. When the emperor came again on one of his many visits from Germany to fight them, there was a great battle. The men of Milan fought round a sacred car on which was a figure of Christ. The best soldiers had been picked out to defend the car, and they were called the Company of Death. This time the towns won, and the emperor had to give them a great deal of freedom, though he still kept a sort of power over them. Frederick then gave in to the Pope and was received again into the church, for he had, of course, been excommunicated. In the great piazza, or square in Venice, he knelt at Pope Alexander's feet, and the Pope raised him up and gave him the kiss of peace. It was just 100 years since Henry IV had asked for forgiveness at Canossa, so again the Pope had won. Frederick, then, had a stormy life and was an old man when he joined the Third Crusade. He led his great army by land while Philip and Richard took theirs by sea. But as the German army reached a stream just before crossing into Syria, the brave old emperor was drowned. The river was flowing very quickly, but the emperor spurred his horse into it and was carried away and drowned. The people of Germany were full of sorrow, for he had ruled them well and they had loved him. He was a very handsome man, with long yellow hair curling over his ears and with a long red beard, from which the Italians called him Barbarossa. He had a clear white skin and bright eyes and a merry smile. Long afterwards, the German people looked back on his reign as a time of great peace and joy. They said, indeed, that he did not die, but was only sleeping, and would come one day to rule them again. The other leaders stopped before the town of Accra, and besieged it for two years. There was fierce fighting, and Richard of the Lionheart, who had come late, showed his great courage when, although he was ill, he had himself carried among the soldiers, so that he could give them orders in the fight. The black standard of Saladin waved proudly above the city, though Saladin was not there at the time. With Richard's help, Acre was soon taken, and the crusaders were now free to march to Jerusalem. But Philip Augustus was anxious to get home again and give himself up to the work of making France stronger. Most of the French soldiers went home with their king. Richard led the rest of the crusaders after this and won many battles against Saladin, but he could not win Jerusalem, and at last he made peace with Saladin. 
The Christians had lost the kingdom which they had won in the First Crusade, but were allowed to keep a little land on the coast round Jaffa, and pilgrims in small numbers were allowed to visit the Holy Sepulchre. Before he turned homewards, Richard was taken to the top of a hill, from which he could see the white buildings of Jerusalem glistening far off in the sunshine. But Richard put his shield before his face. He could not bear to look at the holy city, which he had hoped to win again for the Christians. For a hundred years after this, there were other crusades, though not so great as the first and third. But Jerusalem was never really won back, and is in the hands of the Mohammedans still. Richard started for home, but it was a long time before he reached England, for he had many adventures on the way. Saladin died the next year. One reason why the Third Crusade was not a great success was that the leaders were jealous of each other. Although Richard was so brave and splendid a knight, he was not easy to get on with, for he wanted to have things all his own way. One of the leaders who had quarreled very bitterly with Richard was Leopold, Duke of Austria. Richard had to pass through Leopold's country on his way home. He dressed himself up as a pilgrim, but someone found out who he was, and he was put in prison by the Duke. After a time, Richard was given over to the new emperor, Henry IV, the son of Frederick Barbarossa. The emperor kept him in prison for two years. A story is told that no one in England really knew what happened to Richard until his minstrel Blondel found out where he was. A story is told of how Blondel traveled from castle to castle all over Germany, and at last, he rested outside the castle where Richard was shut up. He heard his master's voice singing an old French song. Blondel, in great excitement, sang a verse of the song, hoping that Richard would hear him, and he did. Richard was glad, for he knew that Blondel would go back to England and tell the English people of the troubles of their king, and so he did. Richard's wicked brother John was looking after England and did not want the king to come back, but in the end he had to pay the ransom of a great sum of money which the emperor asked for, and Richard was at last set free. He did not live long after he got back to England. For years after his time, the Mohammedans told tales of his great courage and strength, and in Syria, if an Arab's horse jumped or seemed frightened, the Arab would say to it, Why? Do you think it's King Richard? At the same time that the Christians and the Mohammedans were struggling in the east, a great struggle was going on too between the Christians and the Moors in Spain. We have seen that Spain was the only country in Western Europe, except the south of Italy, which was won by the Mohammedans. The Normans had conquered South Italy again, but for hundreds of years nearly all Spain belonged to the Moors. Charles the Great had, however, driven them as far south as the Ibro, and little Christian kingdoms had grown up there. In time, these began to grow stronger, and by degrees to push the Moors farther and farther south, so that by the end of the 13th century, they only had a little strip of land in the south, and nearly all Spain was Christian again. The great hero in this struggle between the Moors and Christians in Spain was a man named Ruy Diaz, but who has always been called by the Spaniards the Cid, which means the Lord. He was born not many years after the year 1000 and spent his whole life in fighting. The people of Spain tell that he always fought for the Christians, but other people have said that he sometimes fought for the Moors. At any rate, he won many marvelous victories over the Moors, and he died still fighting them, 
when he was an old man, about the time of the First Crusade. The Spaniards tell that their hero was kind and gentle, as well as brave. Once, they say, he was returning after a victory, which he had won over five Moorish kings. He saw a poor man suffering from the dreadful disease of leprosy, which so many people had in the Middle Ages. The leper was lying on the road begging for pity, but the Spanish knights passed him by, all except the Cid, who lifted him up and took him home on his horse, fed him, and put him to sleep in his own bed. In the night, the Cid awoke, and the leper was no longer there, but a beautiful figure stood beside him and spoke to him, telling him that he was Saint Lazarus, and had only appeared to him as a leper, and he promised him that he should win in his battles against the Moors. The Spaniards told, too, how when the Cid lay dying, he heard that a great Moorish army from North Africa was coming to Spain. He told his soldiers that when he died, they must not cry out or mourn, so that the enemy would know what had happened. But they must dress him in his armor, put a sword in his hand, and tie him sitting on his horse, and he would once more lead them to victory, though he was dead. And so he did. His soldiers fought around their dead leader, and the Moors were defeated in a great battle. And after this, the Christians went on conquering until the Moors were driven out of Spain. End of chapter 22